This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're discussing an 11-year-old who was charged with double homicide. Then, we'll discuss a serial killer who carried a cookie monster toy. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Keystone State. One topic that especially freaks me out is kids who kill. I mean, could you imagine sitting on the jury that is responsible for deciding the fate of an 11-year-old? While researching today's case, I discovered that in Pennsylvania, no matter what age someone is, if they have been accused of committing a murder, they can be tried as adults. I dug into that a little more, and turns out 13 states have no minimum age for the adult prosecution of children. I get it. If anyone, regardless of age, commits a murder, there needs to be consequences. However, not having a minimum age also exposes young children to being held in adult correctional facilities, where they're at an increased risk of sexual, physical, and psychological abuse. Around 30 years ago, a 13-year-old boy named Joe Sullivan, with severe intellectual disabilities from Florida, was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole for a no-homicide offense. He suffered repeated sexual violence and assaults at the hands of older inmates. He was released after serving 25 years, and by then he was wheelchair-bound at the age of 39. Whether you believe that children should be tried as adults or not, you must agree that the consequences are something to take into consideration. So some of you may have heard about this case. I remember watching a 2020 episode about it a few years ago, and I wanted to refresh my memory on it because I couldn't remember everything, but it's a wild one. I'm just over here wiping my eyes from From her opening. Sorry. The sad part of that isn't going to be in here, if that makes you feel any better, but... It doesn't, but go ahead. (laughs) It's still sad. I'm sorry. So, Chris Brown, not the singer. Okay. No. Chris Brown and his former partner... Mildred Krause welcomed their son into the world on August 12, 1997, and they named him Jordan Brown. The relationship didn't last long after Jordan was born, and Chris was granted full custody. Several years later, Chris fell in love again. He had known 26-year-old Kinsey Houck since they were kids, because they both grew up in the small town of Wampum, Pennsylvania. They reconnected as adults and began dating. At that time, Chris was working in the shipping department at a local tableware company. Chris still had custody of his then 11-year-old son, Jordan, and Kinsey had two daughters from a former relationship, a 7-year-old and a 4-year-old. Things got serious, and Kinsey moved in with Chris, and they blended their family. Not long after, they received the happy news that they were expecting. Kinsey was pregnant with the couple's first child together, a boy and they planned on naming him Christopher. Kinsey was a hairstylist, but decided that after this baby, she was going to be a stay-at-home mom. Three kids is a handful, so I've been told. (laughs) And daycare's not cheap. Yeah. Chris and Jordan had a very close father-son relationship. They enjoyed going hunting on the weekends. 
And on Christmas of 2008, Chris gifted Jordan a youth-sized 20-gauge shotgun. Jordan also said he was excited about the new baby because he always wanted a brother. On the morning of February 20th, 2009, Chris was running a little late for work. Kinsey was eight and a half months pregnant at this point, so, Mm-mm. I mean, she was, could probably Mm-mm. pop at any That's time. That's miserable. Yeah. And she asked him to stay home from work that day, since he was already running late, but he decided to go to work. Mm-hmm. Kinsey was more than ready for the new baby. The clothes were all washed. The bed was set up. The diapers were in place. She was expecting it anytime soon. So, on that morning, Kinsey was sleeping in a bedroom downstairs which would become Jordan's once the baby was born. So Jordan had a bedroom upstairs, but he had already moved his clothes into the downstairs bedroom. They wanted the baby, of course, as close to their room as possible. Around 9 a.m. that morning, after Chris went to work and Jordan and her seven-year-old caught the bus for school, tree trimmers who had been hired to do work around the property saw something strange. A little girl was standing in the doorway crying. And they realized that she was saying that her mother was dead. What? And this little girl was four years old at this time. So she was staying at home with Kinsey uh-huh. while the other two went to uh-huh. school. So they, they called the police to report what was going on. And first responders quickly arrived to find Kinsey in a terrible state. She had been shot in the back of the head in the downstairs bedroom. And paramedics were unable to revive her. She was pronounced dead at the scene. So, like, she was shot in her sleep? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. The police called Chris at work and asked him to come home immediately because Kinsey and the baby were gone. Oh, the baby died, too? Mm-hmm, because too much time had passed, yeah. you know? Oh, God. It's awful, yeah. There were no signs of a burglary or a break-in, so the police, of course, were curious about the husband. The husband. So they interviewed Chris at the station. They also swabbed his hands for gunpowder residue. But they came back clean. And now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't look this up, so I don't know. I wonder how long gunpowder residue can stay on your hand. Because obviously, killers wash their hands, right? Probably. I'm going to ask Google. After they fire a gun. I wonder how long that stays on you. But they came back clean. His employer also confirmed that he was at work during the time of the shooting, so he was completely eliminated as a suspect. A couple of officers went to Mohawk Elementary School to talk to Kinsey's daughter and Jordan about what went on that morning. Neither said anything strange had happened, but Jordan did say he remembered seeing a black truck near the garage. Jordan said that that morning his sister woke him up and he went downstairs and got his clothes. So out of the room, Kinsey would have been sleeping in. Mm -hmm. Then he went to the bathroom and got dressed. He said that they sat on the couch, meaning him and his stepsister, in the living room waiting. And then Kinsey told them to go because the bus was coming and they were going to be late. So he said they hurried up and went out the back door, ran down the driveway, and caught the bus for school around 8.15 a.m. Four to six hours, it says, is how long it stays on your hands. But you can, if you put your hands in your pocket or anything like that, it can transfer The night after they were all questioned, around 3.30 a.m., Chris and Jordan awoke to the sound of the police pounding on their door. They had a warning for 11-year-old Jordan's arrest. So, of course, an arrest of an 11-year-old for murder was a big deal, and just murder in general was 
very uncommon in this small town, and this mugshot of him spread across every news outlet. Eleven. Mm-hmm. Fifth grader. Tiny. Small, I mean. Oh, yeah. God. So what made them so suspicious of Jordan? They said it was because Jordan gave them a slightly different version of what happened that morning the second time they interviewed him. They said that Jordan changed the description of the black truck and then said there was a person inside of it with a hat on ducking down. When Kinsey's daughter was re-interviewed, she told police that she saw Jordan moving his guns that morning. So she's seven. She said she was waiting downstairs for Jordan so they could walk to the bus together like they usually do, and she heard a big boom, like the sound of a gun. When police asked Jordan, he said he wasn't doing anything with his guns that morning. The officer said that a shotgun is more of a weapon of opportunity. It's not something a burglar is going to carry around, and most killers don't want to carry around a weapon that's big and bulky, three feet long. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not going to be sneaking around outside with. Yeah, so the police did a search of the Brown home and found a collection of handguns, rifles, and several rounds of ammunition. They also found the 20-gauge shotgun that belonged to Jordan, and they said it smelled as though it was recently fired. Unfortunately, when they interviewed Jordan, they didn't check him for a gunpowder residue. So it was too late by then. They're probably thinking, it's a child. Why would he have gunpowder residue on him? A fifth grader. Mm Mm-hmm. They also found a 20-gauge shotgun shell casing in pristine condition next to the family's driveway the next day, which is odd because someone would have put it there. So they believe Jordan threw the shell to the ground as he was walking to the bus that morning. And they thought the motive was that Jordan was jealous of the new baby. He and his dad were close. They were having a new baby. They were naming it Christopher after his dad. Maybe as an 11-year-old you're not, your brain's not fully developed yet. Max is third grade, only child. And even though he's super mature, I can tell, like we had a friend who had a baby recently and we went to the hospital and I was holding the baby and Max got very jealous, which Mm -hmm. was silly to me because I'm like, you know, this isn't our child. This is theirs. They're not coming home Mm -hmm. with me, but he was like hanging on me, arms around my <laughs> yeah. waist. So it's, like you said, a fifth grader is not that much older. Yeah. And that mentality of jealousy. It's my parents. It's my yeah. dad. Oh, that's so oh, He awful. claims he was excited about it and everything. And yeah. so, I mean, we don't know for sure. Yeah. But from the start, his dad, Chris, did not think he was guilty. He told the police that they should look into Kinsey's ex-boyfriend of six years named Adam Harvey. According to Chris, Kinsey was afraid of Adam. She and her family had a protective order against him after she claimed he left messages threatening to kill her and her family. However, Adam denied those claims. Interestingly enough, Adam drove a black truck. So that kind of matched up. Oh, yeah. However... Police determined that he couldn't have made the 24-hour drive over to the Browns' house and back to his neighborhood because the snow left on his hood was still intact. So, they're in Pennsylvania in the winter. It snowed a lot. So, when you, you know from just our little snowstorms that when you have snow on your hood, 
and just say you're driving from work to home, if you had snow on your hood, it wouldn't be perfect. No. By the time you got home. No. So that was why they were kind of like, he didn't at least drive this truck. Right. He also claimed he had no idea where Kenzie was even living at that point, and they also tested his hands for gunshot residue and found none. So, although they weren't able to test Jordan's hands, since at this point they were suspicious of him, they tested his jacket and pants that he wore to school that day, and they did have gunpowder residue on them. Oh, no. So, police discovered that there was some drama between Kinsey and Adam, her ex. He had recently discovered that Kinsey's four-year-old daughter, who he believed to be his, was not his biological child. And I uh, allegedly, Kinsey had been wanting him to pay child support. And then when he right. found that out, it was not good. And this is just an opinion, but when police were interviewing Adam, they believed that he was surprised by her murder and hurt. He was crying, and they believed that the tears were genuine. That was just their take. He also cooperated and took a polygraph. It was clean, and he was quickly cleared as a suspect. They said their, the biggest thing that they made him think he was innocent was the truck, the snow on the truck, that he couldn't have driven that. Right. It would have flown off. Mm-hmm. So he was cleared. Jordan Brown was charged with first-degree murder and was housed for three years at the Edmund L. Thomas Adolescent Center which is a juvenile detention center in Erie County, Pennsylvania. Chris would drive every single day to see his son, which was a 230-mile round trip. Well, he's a baby. Mm-hmm. Every single day. And Chris said the time needed to visit his son cost him his job. Obviously, he's going there every day. It takes him hours. And yeah. he said all he cared about was getting his son free. Yeah. During the years of Jordan's detention stay, Chris would ask him multiple times whether or not he killed Kinsey. He said, quote, I gave him every opportunity. I'd say, Jordan, listen, if something happens, accidents happen, buddy. You know, if something happened, tell me. I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm your dad. I'm never going to not be your dad. I'm never not going to be here every day. And he said he never changed his story and he maintained his innocence from day one. On the other hand, Kinsey's family is convinced that Jordan is guilty. Kinsey's mom, Debbie, told 2020, Jordan's a murderer, and I'll say it. His father needs to look in the mirror every morning, look in that mirror and say, I'm the father of a murderer. Oh, my God. She came in hot. She's she's hurting. She's hurt. I understand that, but I was like, oh, gosh. He, Chris didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's his son. I know that's hard. It's easy for me to say, but I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's – I don't know. Yeah. More than two years after Jordan was charged, a judge ruled that his case would be moved from adult to juvenile, where instead of facing life in prison, he would get out far earlier. It would be another eight months before Jordan would stand trial for the double homicide. His trial lasted three days, ending with him being found delinquent, which is the equivalent of a guilty verdict. His sentence was to be announced at a later date. He was 14 at this time. During his incarceration, Jordan taught himself to play guitar, and he said he became a pretty good basketball player. And he would read books, and he told his dad that, you know, there are a lot of words he didn't understand because he hadn't gone to school, you know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he'd been incarcerated. He hadn't advanced in certain things, and his dad bought him a dictionary 
and told him when he gets to a certain word he doesn't understand to go to that word, sound it out, and read the definition. And that's, he had to kind of teach himself the hard words to read. Jordan's lawyers announced they would appeal two months after his conviction, but it would take another three and a half years before his appeal was heard by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. His attorneys say police were never able to prove Jordan's shotgun was the murder weapon. They argue that the particle of gunpowder residue on his shirt and pants, oh, sorry, I said earlier that he had gunpowder residue on his jacket and pants, which is true, Mm -hmm. but the clothes he wore had it on the shirt and pants. But the defense argued that the particle of gunpowder residue on the shirt and pants could have been from the jacket he had worn recently to a turkey shoot. Like it could have spread onto his clothing, like you were talking about earlier. In fact, the prosecution's forensics expert had testified that these particles can be transferred. Another issue Jordan's attorneys raised with it was that there was no blood or tissue found on the gun or Jordan's clothing that day, which is suspicious. Yeah. If she was shot close range, you would think he would have some splatter on him or the gun. For sure. Not just walk away. I know he's in He knows how to use a gun. I don't know. But the prosecution's expert witness said the angle in which the gun was shot could have minimized what's referred to as blowback. Kenzie's youngest daughter later spoke to 2020 and gave her own account on what happened that morning. She said she remembered being woken up by the sound of a gunshot. She was so young, though, that she didn't know it, it was a gunshot. She just thought it was a loud sound. She was going to walk into her mom's room to wake her up when the phone rang. She picked up her mom's phone and answered it. She said the person on the other end of the line asked to talk to her mom. So she went into the downstairs bedroom to get her, and that's when she walked in to see her mom's body. And then at that point, that's when she went outside to tell the tree trimmers. Mm -hmm. So we know the tree trimmers saw her sometime after 9 a.m. that morning. Based on this account, the murders would have happened after the kids went to school. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying she's wrong, but she we have to keep in mind she was four years old at the time. Her memory could change over time. And that's kind of what they said. They can't rely on that now. At the time, she couldn't even speak. She was so upset. So she couldn't have been interviewed then, which is really sad. Like she couldn't even, they couldn't understand what she was saying. She was crying so hard. And she was four years old. Four. Ugh. Jordan Brown spent seven summers in detention and was released in 2016 when he was 18 years old. In July 2018, the court sided with Jordan, writing that the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania had failed to prove Jordan Brown guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Jordan's conviction was overturned. In a rare move, the highest court in Pennsylvania ruled that there was insufficient evidence to prosecute the case. While the decision did not declare him innocent of the charges, he can't be retried. Jordan said, quote, it used to bother me all the time. I used to hate it. But then I got to the point where it didn't bother me at all. I didn't care. But now I'm kind of like, I go back and forth sometimes, I think. Chris said that he still mourns the loss of Kenzie and their unborn son, Christopher. He said, I still love her and I miss her every day. And he kind of talked about how he never really had time to mourn her and his son because of everything. He was busy advocating for Jordan. So it's like he lost two children, essentially, and his wife. Yeah. So it's like he had to advocate for Jordan, but he never really had time to mourn. So it's just 
really sad, but retired Pennsylvania State Trooper Bobby McGraw said he is still confident that Jordan Brown committed the murders. He said, This case was investigated by some of the finest police officers in this country, plain and simple, and none of us wanted to put handcuffs on an 11-year-old. That's where this case took us. I have never looked back that we arrested the wrong person, in my opinion, and I would assume every trooper who investigated that case feels the same way. We did not get this case wrong. There is not a trooper on the scene that day that has lost one second of sleep over this case. That's how confident they felt. Uh. Since his release, Jordan attended Ohio College and was studying computer science and criminal justice. He said, I just want to be successful. I just want to graduate college, you know, get a job in my major and be successful. He would be around 25 years now and has probably graduated, but I couldn't find out like what his job is right now. But Kinsey's two daughters were raised by their grandparents, Debbie and Jack. Debbie said that both girls are doing well in school, have friends, and are surrounded by family, but of course, they miss their mother. The graves are decorated for holidays and special occasions, including Kinsey's April 20th birthday and the anniversary of her death. Debbie said that she's trying to summon up the forgiveness for the boy accused in the death of, his, in the death of her daughter and grandson. She said that a little remorse on his part would help. She also said she wishes things would have gone differently between her family and Chris's. She said, we lost a daughter and a grandchild. In all of this time, Chris has sat through hearings as if he does not care, which I don't think that's true. I'm just quoting her. Right. All I want for him is to say that he loved my daughter and that he felt bad about what happened. I and mean, she's a grieving, mu- you know, yeah, I'm just. I, I feel like he probably does. I felt like it wasn't fair to go after Chris because, again, Chris. He didn't know what the fuck to do. Chris didn't do anything wrong except he's defending his son. You know, I mean. His, I, his fifth grade son. Yeah. It's not like he's 20. Yeah. He's a baby. Regardless if it's awful. It's awful. But regardless if he did it or not, I'll post the picture. He just looks like a little kid. I can't even imagine. Ugh. Luckily, once he was out at 18, it's been, what, like seven-ish years so far? He hasn't committed any crimes at all. Like he's at least, even if he did it, he's not harming people, at least that we know of. Right. But it's just a really sad case. This is a completely, probably inappropriate question, but I have to ask it because I'm curious and you may or may not know the answer. When that happens to someone who is pregnant, do they deliver the baby or do they just leave it in utero? You know what I mean? I don't know what they did in this situation, but technically if she had gone to the hospital, like right away, they could have. Save the baby. Save the baby, yeah. So I just Because it was viable. Right. I don't know what they did. That's... Well, not just them in general, but like people. Right. Like what? I don't know what... I've never heard anyone discuss that. I haven't either. Probably because... It's, it's really dark. Really dark. I'll try to remember to look that up. Oh, gosh. I don't even want to Google that. Just don't even Google it. it we'll just leave it to mystery. <laughs> yeah. I'll some things are better, better left unsaid. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not that I'm trying to be... Yeah, I don't know. Grotesque or in- inappropriate, but... Ooh, let's take a break. Okay. Ready? I'm ready. Harrison Graham was born in October of 1958. 
to Lily Graham Jeter. He was the oldest of five children and was raised in a foster home from ages two to seven. Not sure exactly what happened for him to be taken away or what happened while he was in foster care, Mm -hmm. but clearly it wasn't good or he wouldn't have been taken away. Right. So his foster mom would later say that she never saw him read or write, and he did have a diagnosed learning disability. Harrison also had a diagnosed mental disorder, and at the age of 12, he was placed in a hospital for two years. At an early age, he became the lover and employee of a male pimp. So home life sucked. He hit the streets where he claimed was the first time that he ever felt deeply loved Mm. by anyone. Wow. He was in homosexual relationships. He was a prostitute and he did drugs. In his early teens, his mother's uh, very spiritual awakening forced him to come back home. She dragged him from the streets and began to preach to him about the immortalities of his lifestyle. Which is irritating to me (laughs) on so many levels. But one being like, where were you the rest of my fucking life? You know, Mm -hmm. like you – and and I'm not saying people can't change, but Mm -hmm. – and I'm speaking from personal experience. When people come into your life who haven't been there and – It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to be like, well, oh, now you want me – And I'm going to listen to you because – Because you've always been my moral support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyways. So he eventually drops out of high school and is only reading at a third grade level as an adult. Wow. And he never learned to tell time. He was a quiet man. He did handiwork for all of his neighbors and everyone said he's just a nice guy. Harrison liked the cookie monster and would often talk like him and even entertain the children in the neighborhood with his cookie monster puppet toy, whatever you want to call it. He would play basketball with the kids, too. So he was just very, he was that guy that you always saw just kind of outside hanging out. So just three miles away from where serial killer Gary Heidnick was committing his horrible crimes at the same time, lived Harrison Graham at 1631 North Street, which was a rundown house that looked abandoned. The windows were broken. The front door was broken. Drugs, drug dealers everywhere, pimps, prostitutes, just not a great place. But there were families that lived in this area among all these abandoned Mm -hmm. buildings and drug addicts. But it was better than not having any place to live at all. Right. You know, at least they weren't unhoused. Mm -hmm. There were addicts, the mentally ill, and this was their home. So in August of 1987... Graham was evicted from his home after tenants complained about the smell coming from his place. Oh, no. He had been told to basically clean up or ship out. And on the day he left, he nailed one of the bedroom doors shut, telling the neighbors he would be back for the rest of his things. The landlord was like, fuck no, and sent his son and nephew over to clean it out and just be done with all of it. So the two get there, and there is trash piled up, moldy food containers, syringes, dried feces on the floor and walls. Oh, man. 
I cannot even imagine how bad that must have smelled. Ooh. I would have thrown up immediately. Yeah. Oh, gosh. In the kitchen, they found drawings of a naked woman and dried blood smears on the floor like someone had been drugged. Ugh. They called the police. Officer Pete Scalatino responded to the complaints of the foul odors and the blood marks, and he gets there and recognizes the smell of death immediately. He arrives at the apartment, looks through a keyhole of the door that was locked, and he could see the naked legs of a woman. They force the door open and discover this woman had been dead a while. Mm. And right next to her in some trash was another dead woman. Oh my gosh. So police tape off the scene. Homicide gets there and find another dead woman underneath the second body that was found. It was wrapped in sheets and completely covered in trash. And these bodies were nearly skeletons. They had been dead for a while. They were completely decomposed. Searchers wearing masks dug through syringes and spoons, clearly used for drug use, broken glass, dog feces, human feces, and within an hour, uncovered a fourth victim. There was that much just filth? Oh my gosh. This body was mummified to the sheets that it was wrapped in. Then a fifth. This body was found between two mattresses. And the way that it sounds was almost like it was sandwiched in between two mattresses. And possibly he was sleeping on the top mattress, like some fucked up princess in the pea. A sixth body was found sitting up in a closet, also wrapped in a sheet, and an electrical cord was wrapped around it. How many freaking... Oh my gosh. On August, and people are just yeah. now complaining about the smell and their skeletons. August Ugh. the 10th, the search began outside of the apartment. Officers and crew began to dig and search on top of the building where they found a leg and a foot. This was unlucky number seven. On the fucking roof, the body was found on the roof. One of the bodies was identified as 36-year-old Mary Mathis, who was a mother of five. Victim identification by DNA was still in its infancy, so the others had to be identified by a forensic anthropologist who could kind of do like bone reconstruction. Six of the victims were later identified as women of color. Autopsies were performed, and there was no sign of physical trauma or violence. The first two bodies had decomposed so rapidly because of the heat. Mm. They had only been dead a few days. Oh my god! It was fucking hot, apparently. The coroner was able to positively identify them as female, but the other victims took a little more time. A husband came forward asking about his wife, who had disappeared over two years before. A roommate of another victim told police that she believed her roommate Sandra had bought drugs from Harrison and did not return. Things found at the crime scene like jewelry, including a heart-shaped necklace and three earrings, also were helpful in identifying the deceased. Photos of these items were shown to the public and relatives began to step forward to identify their loved ones. Another was his former girlfriend, Robin. The media ran stories about a madman being on the loose, and Graham had left on foot from the apartment 
with his cookie monster puppet. So they begin to hunt for him and his photo was released by police. Leads would come in, but nothing was substantial. Everyone was shocked. Like his neighbors all talked about how friendly he was, how he was so helpful. He played with the kids. They never had any bad vibes from him. But the drug dealers were like, no, this man was a drug dealer. He sold drugs. He took drugs. So his family didn't believe he was capable of this either. And his mother, you know, was pleading with him on national TV just to turn yourself in. And he did. He was arrested. Wow. He said the bodies were there when he moved into the apartment, that he didn't do anything. Oh, boy. But then later he said, okay, I did kill a couple of them. Eventually, he did confess to killing all of them, but said he had only had intended to do drugs with them, but shit happens. He said it wasn't him, though. It was Marty. Oh, no. He didn't mean to do it, but maybe the sex got too rough, and he liked to choke people and be choked. I'm not opposed to this either, but... I do draw the line at murder. Not to the point of murder. Yeah, no murder. Oh, my gosh. So Harrison lured his victims, whether he knew them or not, (sighs) with drugs. Consensual sex led to strangulation, which always shocked him in the morning, he said, when he'd wake up and find a woman laying next to him dead. He confessed that his first victim was his former girlfriend and that he was so shaken up by what he had done and was so afraid of what to do next that he simply left her in the apartment. It was not until he brought another woman to his apartment that he did attempt to hide her body. It's not a great attempt. No, he hoisted her body onto the roof through the bedroom window. He said his secrets were safer with her dead, that she knew about Marty and his desires, and he didn't want her looking at him and seeing how angry God was through her eyes. Graham's IQ was tested, and the doctor testified in court that he was below level, you know, he was below the level considered to be competent to stand trial. His IQ was 63. He had abused alcohol and drugs and would not be able to take the stand in his own defense because he was paranoid, psychotic, hallucinogenic. Is that a word? He was hallucinating. (laughs) That's a word. Thank you. That's a better word. I don't know. How about that one? And he would black out. Another doctor would later say that this was not true. He was able to give the police a statement and was able to answer all the doctor's questions. So basically one doctor saying he's not competent and the other one's like, he, this is a ruse. Like hmm. he's faking this to, you know. Okay. Yeah. The judge said, yes, he can stand trial and be prosecuted. Hmm. Graham's attorney presented him as having multiple personalities, three different ones to be exact. And I literally put my notes, Lacey, don't say a fucking word. (laughs) I'm zipping my lips. (laughs) Frank was the drug addict. He had a dirty mouth and he murdered people. Then there was two-year-old Junior who loved Cookie Monster. And then there was Marty, who was the handyman. Marty was the one that the police interviewed. He was loving and he was a rehabilitated Christian. 
Sometimes Junior would show himself, and this is the personality most familiar with the kids, who would he would play with them, play basketball with them, and you know do the Cookie Monster voice. Frank was the one that was responsible for all the crimes of murder and necrophilia. It was Frank who could not stand to be with a woman because he was homosexual. He had a desire for drugs and was a prostitute. So these were the different personalities. On August the 27th, 1986, a detective read through the account of what they found during the six-hour hearing. Harrison began to get agitated, was rocking back and forth as they read, you know, what they had seen and also how he, Harrison, had described maggots in his apartment as furball bugs. Oh, He said he had to stay high all the time to ignore the birds that were eating the body outside the window. He was drugged and paranoid. And Harrison panicked when he knew he was going to be evicted and the police were going to come if he didn't leave his home. So he began throwing bodies in that bedroom and hiding them in trash and then nailed the door shut before he left. Until that point, they had been just sitting around his front room. Okay, so then... What about when he's Marty and the bodies are in his living room? They just stay there. And Or when he's junior, is he not scared? I have no answers. He was found guilty of first-degree murder and abuse of a corpse on all accounts. His attorney told reporters that he doubted Graham knew he'd even been found guilty or what the ramifications would mean. And he was focusing on keeping him from being executed. When his conviction was read... He barely moved or made a sound, and afterwards, he told reporters everything will work out just fine. He was he then asked for his cookie monster to be given back to him because it was no longer needed as evidence. Oh, man. So Harrison Graham had been given six death sentences, but first, he would have to serve out his life term. So basically, the judge spared him. Yeah. The single life sentence for his girlfriend's murder. That's what the life sentence Mm. was for. Since she was first, so there were no other murders to add aggravating factors. He was additionally sentenced by the judge to serve six consecutive sentences of seven to 14 years each. The judge did take into account the factors of Harrison's abuse and his neglectful childhood. Some didn't agree with this, but... He said he had to learn to adapt to unthinkable circumstances as a child and that in part to survive, he thought it was acceptable and he believed that he developed altered personalities as like a coping mechanism. Like he compartmentalized when this is happening, it's this person, not me. And when this is happening, it's this person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As a way. Yeah. Which is not uncommon characteristics of broken adults, which stem from tragedy in early childhood. So Mm. until 1994, Harrison was a prisoner at Harrisburg Penitentiary in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Then the Supreme Court deemed his sentence unethical and illegal. And the court ruled that his life sentence be overturned 
and that the death sentence be implemented. He was then scheduled for execution on December 7, 1988. But the judge again stayed the execution. In 2002, the U.S. Supreme Court banned all executions of all mentally, not my word, retarded criminals. Harrison did not meet the initial requirements of the ban. That's what they called it in 88? That's what they called it in 2002. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. That's quotes. That's not me. As stated by the psychiatrist involved in his case, he tested lower than he functioned. So even if his IQ was below 70, he was not mentally, that word again. But because according to the criteria established by the American Psychiatric Association, that an onset of mental illness occurring before the age of 18 years mandated the same relief from execution. So he's permanently off death row. So today Harrison resides in a medium security facility in Pennsylvania. His case manager describes him as a mild and nonviolent person. Wow. And he has received his minister's certificate and continues to practice his faith. So. My face has been frozen this entire time because that's. I'm not trying to fan a fire of anything, but here I go. Oh, boy. This man killed more people than Gary Heidnick. Yeah. He. We don't know if he tortured him or trapped him or whatever because their bodies were decomposed. Yeah. Literally, this happened three months and within a mile of where the Gary Heidnick stuff happened. But we heard nothing about this guy. so – the odds of that, you know? You would think it would blow up. And I read a lot of stuff back and forth on the internet, which, you know, loves a conspiracy theory and to make something out of nothing. But a lot of people think, and I can't say that that I disagree, it's because he was a black man. Because look at all. Serial white male serial killers seem to be the ones Mm -hmm. that get all the – brouhaha and and then other people thought maybe it's because they didn't want to bring more media to the area because of all that had just happened they were like well fuck nobody's going to want to move here if this is literally happening within blocks of each other either way it's completely messed up seven women nuts yeah i don't know I, yeah, I'm very yes. I'm unfamiliar with this case too. Yeah, I never heard of it. Insane. Anyways, that's my story. Oh, I don't even I'm not even saying <laughs> opinions. I'm scared. No. <laughs> Come for me. Burp, 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 burp. He did horrible things. I don't think he should be free. I think that's a bad idea. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying as a child, he was failed a lot. Yeah. I feel like that seems to be He was failed by everyone. I mean, I can't. I'm he speculating, should. but it's like, why would you take him from the foster home and give him back? And then he ends up on the street. I, I don't know. Let me shut up because yeah. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Yeah. And it's my opinion, which doesn't mean shit. It's just, a, ugh. and you see this so many times with these people that commit these awful crimes. Also people that have wonderful childhood commit yeah. terrible crimes, but Like, if you want to look at the McDonald's triad, he wasn't on any of it. Yeah. He didn't do any of those things. Yeah. He just, it's it's awful. 
a lot of drugs is bad off the get-go, but combine that with having, it sounds like, a severe intellectual yeah. disability. Yeah. That, ugh, I don't know. And you're being manipulated as a yeah, as a preteen. That's a To be a prostitute by a pimp and start dr- – I mean, it's just – oh, it's just a fucking nightmare. It's a, Tell me something else. Tell me something good. I will. Man, those, both cases were sticky. Like Season three is – Oh, man. Oh, man. Bananas. Okay. We have new patrons, <gasps> and they're like, why did this have to be the episode? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. We have, and everyone's pin is in the map. We have Rebecca S. from Florida. <gasps> what? Thank you, Rebecca. Awesome. Yeah. Sunny Florida. And we have, I hope I'm saying this right, Shara, S-H-A-R-A, or Shara? Either way. Shara H. from Utah, which is, okay. We okay. Have, you're our fourth patron, which makes you just as special as the first. Thank you. But I'm going to point out that look at this map. Four Utah patrons, zero Colorado. Just weird stuff. <laughs> Z- zero Colorado. We love Utah. Yeah, Utah. I mean, you ha- we have as equally the same amount of patrons in Texas. Isn't that really interesting? I, we love it. I'm glad. I do I'm love glad it for Utah's sure. Okay with us? They're like y'all are on thin ice with <laughs> season three. Literally They're on thin ice. <laughs> Next, I'll see. She's not a patron anymore. No, I'm just joking. Sorry. She Thank has you. left. She's left the chat. And ooh, and I didn't add her yet. Oh crap! I'm gonna have to add. No, it's up there. Mandy S. from Canada. <gasps> it's our first Canadian. Shut up. Where's the pin? I didn't. I forgot about that. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you, I, the, you, you need a special pin for We her. need a special pin. <laughs> first Canadian. That's super That's exciting. super awesome. I'll put your pin in. Love a new pin. I love it. Thanks, guys. So that's the good news. Well, we are recording our Patreon episode tomorrow. We are. And it'll air later this week. And it's all about tornadoes, what y'all didn't ask for, but... Yeah, you know what? Sometimes we don't want to talk about kids killing kids and... And we had a traumatic tornado experience a few weeks ago, so... Now we're entitled. No. Yeah, now we're going to talk about it, because we are survivors. It's (laughs) like shark attack victims. Um, That's... You know I love Shark Week. It's a passion of mine. It's a passion of mine. Oh, boy. I have to tell you what happened. What? Buckle up and join me. On, on which ride? Home Depot. What happened? <sighs> Fuck my life. So Sunday, beautiful outside. What better day to work in the yard, right? So yeah. I'm like cleaning out the flower bed. I'm going to do all mm-hmm. this stuff outside. It's beautiful. And Home Depot is dog friendly. Yep. Taking Wendy. It's awesome. an outing for the family. Lovely. We go. Immediate regret fills my body. Why? She doesn't – she's a puller on a leash. Okay. And I haven't mastered – Okay. I haven't seen her on a leash, so I didn't know that. But she seems very – She's very mild. mild. Yeah. But when she's on a leash, and especially when she's like in public, mm-hmm. she wants to go. Okay. And so – Brody's that way too. I always feel like I'm being jerked mm-hmm. and pulled. And I know the suggestions will flood in from this story from everyone telling me everything I'm doing wrong. So I try to like plant myself so yeah. she can't pull me. It doesn't work. I'm so thin. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Tossed around like a rag dog. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to tie her to my cart. Like oh, wrap it around. Boy, yeah. Not tie, but like wrap it around the doodad. Yeah. Purses in there. 
We head to the garden section. Things are going swimmingly. Was anything in the cart? Not yet. Oh, my no. purse, and I'm holding it, and I have still a hand okay. on Alicia and her. So we're loading hostas. We're getting other bullshit that I'm going to kill if it's not already dead. We're getting all the things. We've loaded them up. Max is like, ooh, lawnmowers. He's a nine-year-old boy. He's going to sit on all the lawnmowers and act like he's driving. I'm loading mulch because it's five bags for $10. And I'm like, I'll I fucking went use mulch five bags. bananas. Yeah. So I'm loading mulch, two bags in, all the plants are up where my purse is sitting. I don't know what happened, but it's some something. I go to get another bag of mulch. As I'm turning, I see Wendy lunge and she flips the whole fucking cart over. And mulch is in it already? Mulch is in it. Two bags. That's still pretty heavy. Yeah. Mulch. Plants are flying. There's dirt everywhere. My dog takes off like her asshole's on fire. It's Sunday after church. There's 4,000 Christians there judging me. (laughs) I, my neck is red talking about this. My whole body goes hot. I'm embarrassed. Max is just staring at me. My dog is running crazy. With, still on the cart? Or did she get off the cart? She pulled, when she jerked, she come off. She okay. came off. Okay. So she's dragging her leash, running in the outdoor section of Home Depot. Oh my God. Oh my God. This sounds like something Rody would do. Fucking nightmare. Kill me now. So I tell Max, get over here. I pick the cart up. People are trying to like help, help get her. Mm-hmm. And she's just running up to people, licking them like she's living her best life. Yeah. So Max is trying to pick plants up. I run. I'm like, oh, my God, thank you so much. So I get her and I'm like, like, just literally get over there. I'm like, let me tie her, wrap her back around this while I'm helping Max pick the plants up because it's dirt everywhere and all the plants. She jerks again. This time out of her collar. So now she's just naked. No collar. <laughs> Not a naked, naked dog. Naked dog. She, now she's literally running around like a fucking she's maniac. She's streaking. She's no for Home Depot. She's ruthless. She's for the streets. <laughs> she does not give a fuck about anything or anybody. Mm. So now I have to catch her and like pick the 60 pounds. I'm done. I'm done with the fucking day. I hope Home Depot burns to the ground. <laughs> I'm so mad. Mm. So I have to get her, take her to the car, put her in my car. Crack the windows, Ugh. hurry back in to try to help Max, who looks like he's a deer in the headlights. Yeah. We get it, everything done and loaded. We go check out and get into the car. And Max is quiet. Wendy's quiet. Oh, my gosh. Everybody knows I'm about to light my hair on fire. Mm. So we get home, get everything unloaded. Moral of this long-ass story is I will never – she's not allowed to go out anymore. Yeah, people ask me all the time, oh, are you bringing Rody today? I'm like, no. There are certain dogs that just can't go places. I and think I have to be okay with it. I took Charlie everywhere, but he was a lazy old man. Rody, oh my gosh. And I think she's she will be fine. I think she's it's still, my fault. Well, she is still she's really young. Yeah, yeah, same with Rody. They're shit shows right now. She just doesn't understand the, mm-hmm. the collar leash situation Mm-mm. and how you can't just run to everybody. Everybody's not your friend. Yeah. I mean, they should be, but you know what I mean? You can't just run through the store like you do at, at home. home. Yeah. 
So, and I'm not strong enough to keep her from pulling. I, I'm well, even Rody, I can't. <laughs> he's forty pounds. That little devil's strong. When he wants yes. to go, and I Samuel bought this for himself. It's a running leash. It ties around your waist. So I use that. But even still, so I have to basically lean back and put my like I body can't. back. She's she's sixty sixty five yeah. pounds. Like I you'll can't. just get flung in the air. I'm like you just have to stay home. Yeah, like, we're we can't do this. Yeah, I know eventually the pain. I know the pain. I want to take roadie places, but I people are like, oh, bring him to kickball, and I'm like, I cannot. It's stressful. It's too stressful. Can't do it. All I do is worry about him. Worry about other people. Yeah. It's mm-mm, nope. No, we're not doing this. He's gonna be a home dog, homebody yeah. dog. Yeah, when, Wendy's a house cat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just sometimes you can't do it until until I can get her better leash yeah. chain mm-hmm. trained. Because there was somebody else there with a dog, and the dog literally walked right beside the cart. It did not lunge. It didn't try to get away. Mm-hmm. It wasn't aggressively wagging its tail and its tongue out like it was about to just yeah, like it was just chilling, freak yeah. out, just chilling. Wendy acted like a maniac. Hi, everybody! Uh-huh. Just running. Oh, that would be Rody. But he would no. He would be barking loudly at everyone, and everyone would be terrified because he barks super loud. Oh boy! No, we're not doing this. No, it stresses me out. Anyways, other than that, mm. football's back. Started football this week. Um, my trip's coming up soon. Oh yeah, when is that? This weekend or next weekend? Well, it's next weekend. Thanks for outing me. I didn't want to cycle strangers to come mm-hmm. stalk me, but now Lacey's like, and you're staying here? I'll cut this out. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. No. Yeah. And it's two weeks. Very so cool. I did watch the trailer for The Evil Dead. Horrifying. I don't know that I'll be watching Wait, it. Wait, is that the um, Exorcist thing? No. That's a different one. Oh. You have to look at this trailer. Hmm. It looks fucking scary. I'll have to check it out. We asked for it, and the okay, universe listened. Good. And this, I feel like you and I should go watch this at the movie theater like we did Candyman. Yeah, I haven't heard about it. I will say this much. I'm really mad because we pay for Apple TV. And I was browsing through a a few nights ago, added so many movies in my queue. Um, That M. Night Shyamalan movie that I can't remember. It's on Hulu. Oh, is it? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, good. I have Hulu. I added that. Peacock. One. Okay, Anyways. I have that too. Okay. I added that. I added all these scary movies that I had, some I hadn't heard of before. Last night, I go on there to watch it, and it's a, a scam. It's not a scam, but it's like, find ways to watch this. And I'm no, like, that's not what this is I'm about. I'm like, this is what you are. Why, are, why is it on Apple? And mm-hmm. it's you have to pay for it. What's uh-uh. the point? I'm paying for this already. So it was a total nope. So I was your, mad. Is your Apple TV different than your monthly Apple subscription? Yeah. Well, fuck. I was like, oh, I have another streaming service. <laughs> yeah, no. For it's a split a, second. No, I don't. Yeah. Apparently. No, uh. it's extra. And yeah. And doesn't give you what it, it's kind of like Amazon Prime. You know what I mean? Yeah. You see all that stuff and you're like, oh, yeah. And it's like, hey, hey you can't watch this. Yeah. yeah no. That's very annoying. Yeah. I'm just no. saying. It's the streaming service reach around. <laughs> it is. Netflix doesn't have that. Good old reliable Netflix. Netflix. You just watch it. Yeah. Anyway. Where are we next week? We don't know. We want to do Oregon? Oh, sure. There we go. We're We're done. We're in Oregon. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.